This is the first of the Psalms that somebody turned into me. I think it was Caitlin that actually gave me this one, or Angela that actually gave it to me, um, asking for us to look at Psalm 27. The previous two, uh, Psalm 100 and Psalm 1, were two Psalms that I chose. Uh, I'm always concerned whenever I'm speaking about a Psalm that somebody else turns in that I'm going to be dis- they're going to be disappointed because uh, I didn't give to it the emphasis that God has given to you as you've read it and studied it for yourself and God showed himself to you. Maybe I'll miss that part because uh, I overlooked it or I, I wasn't uh, in the same circumstances that you were in. But this is an incredible psalm uh, that's given to us. It's 14 verses long. It's made up of five different uh, verses. Uh, I mean by that like, like song verses. Uh, verse 1 uh, is verse 1 of the psalm. Uh, verses 2 uh, to 3 is verse 2 of the song. Verses 4 uh, down to verse 6 is verse 3. Uh, verses 7 down to verse uh, 12 is verse 4. And then verses 13 and 14 is verse 5. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's five verses in this psalm. And you see how these different uh, verses are, are given to us. What I love about this psalm and what I probably, what most of you love about this psalm is that the psalmist here is telling and talking about the confidence that he has in the Lord, that the Lord is going to watch over him, the Lord is going to protect him, the Lord is going to take care of him. But intermixed with those statements of great faith, there's the reality of the fear and the anxiety that he's having to deal with in his own life. Uh, Over the last uh, few months and some of the things that, that I was dealing with, I went away sometimes feeling like I wasn't nearly as mature in my faith as I should have been because there were moments when I was afraid because of the uncertainty of what was unfolding and what was going on. And I thought to myself, you know, I wish I could be like the psalmists. They had such faith and they expressed such faith. But over that period of time, I read through the psalms, 150 psalms, I read through them twice And one of the things that I noticed in the Psalms is that so often the psalmist expresses his own fears and his own anxieties and his own uncertainties, but he always comes back around to say, but I'm trusting in the Lord. The Lord will deliver me. The Lord will watch over me. I'll I'll hide myself in the shadow of the Almighty or things of that nature. In other words, these two things in life, the, the fears and the anxieties that we have, the faith and the trust that we have really aren't that far apart from one another. And many times we find both of these things at work in our lives at the same time. Uh, If if you're not in that category, then thank the Lord. God's given you a special gift uh, that I wish he would give to me. I think of Corky Thompson. I don't think Corky Thompson worried about anything, anytime, anywhere. He should have been worried about Barbara, but he wasn't worried anything, anytime, anywhere. No matter what was said to him, no matter what was going on around him, he was just seemingly always at peace about what was going on. Say what? What he said about worry. Or tell me. Yeah. Somebody taught me how early on. <laughs> Nobody taught him how. Somebody taught me how early on. Uh, So the the point of this psalm I want you to see is that the psalmist is wrestling with faith, trusting the Lord, at the same time having struggles with with his anxiety or with his fear or or with the battle that is surrounding him. 
And so at one moment in this psalm, you're on a mountaintop, and then he takes you down into the valley. I'm crying out to the Lord, Lord, I don't want you to let go of me. I want you to take care of me. And then you come back to the end of the psalm, but the Lord's going to see me. I'm going to see the Lord in the land of the living. He comes back to that place of faith. And both of these are at work in our lives. It is not abnormal. It is not unusual for us to have these mixed emotions where some moments we feel down and we feel afraid and we feel uncertain, and yet we find, we find faith that's surging within us. When this psalm was written, it's called a psalm of David. We don't know for certain what the circumstances are of this particular psalm. What I can tell you is this. In the Septuagint, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the heading of this psalm in the Septuagint is that it was written before David became the king. He had been anointed to be king, but he had not yet become the king. That would mean, if that's the period of time that we're talking about, that would mean that this psalm is talking about that period when Saul was trying to find him and Saul wanted to kill him. Now, you can imagine the king of Israel is hunting for you. Uh, you can imagine fleeing for your life, hiding in the woods, in the caves. You, you can imagine uh, playing as if you're a madman on one occasion. The things that David did in order to, to save alive himself, to do the things that he needed to do to stay away from the, the death that Saul wanted to bring to him. You, you can imagine there were moments when David felt great peace and great certainty. God is watching over me. He's taking care of me. But there must have been those same moments when David was wondering, you know, what's going to happen next? Am I going to make it? Will I live? And there must have been those moments of anxiety. And so David starts out this psalm uh, talking about his great faith, talking about this confidence that he has in the Lord. Verse 1. This is the first verse of the psalm. The Lord is not only the first verse, it's the first verse of the psalm. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? By the way, when you have to say those kind of things, it means that you know what fear is like. You know what it's like to be afraid. Right? The fact that you have to name those things, that the Lord is my light, my salvation, my strength, uh, the fact that you have to say those things means that I understand what it is to be afraid. I understand what it is to have fear. And David is affirming his faith in a statement that he makes. Um, Mary will tell you, just to give you an illustration of what David is doing here. Uh, while I was going through those tests, those tests and waiting for all those MRIs and what they said and you know, what the surgeon and what, the, what all the other doctors were going to say, I would sit in my chair and put the... the uh, the, the, you know, what do you call it, the foot rest up and lean back because my feet up feel better than they do right now when they're down. And um, I'd, I'd lean back and, and I would quote a verse and I would say, I, I bet you I said it a thousand times, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What was I doing? I was having an internal struggle just like David was having. A man who was being chased potentially by Saul, if that's the background, being chased by Saul, knowing that his life was in danger, that at any moment Saul could find him and kill him. And in the midst of those anxious experiences, in the midst of that fear that might have overcoming at times, he stops and he says, but wait a minute, 
The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And what does he do? I call it self-talk. It's really God talk. He's talking to God. He's talking to himself. And he's reminding himself that even in the circumstances he's in, that God sees him and God knows what's going on. Are you with me? That's what he's saying as he opens this psalm. He's going to close in the same way. Go over to verse 13 and 14. He closes with this same statement, same kind of statement of faith. And in the middle of it, you're going to find him talking about the things that create the fear. In verse 13, he says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, I would have lost heart. I would have given up altogether. I would have just quit trying. I would have quit fleeing for my life if I'd have thought that Saul was going to win this victory. But I knew that God had anointed me to be king. And I knew that God keeps his promises. And I have seen God do you know, mighty and miraculous things out there as a shepherd taking care of the sheep. And I know the power of this God that I serve. And I know what happened with uh, David and Goliath or with Goliath. He is David. I know what happened with Goliath. I know that God is watching over me. And if I didn't believe that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I would have just given up. Ever felt like that? You haven't felt like that? I hear Mary saying yes. Ever felt like that? We've all been there. We've all been there struggling with something that's going on in our lives that seemingly is pulling us down, and yet what do we have to do? We have to latch on to the truths of the Word of God and say them over and over and over again. I would, I, there's nothing scary that scary about an MRI machine except that you're the only one who can be in there. And the, actual, the, the reality is this. Let me just give you, if you hadn't had one, let me just tell you, I've had four now. I'm a pro. So let me just tell you. You know why they put you in those machines? They're trying to clean the walls inside that machine. And they're using your clothes back and forth along those walls to clean off the inside of that machine. At least that's what it feels like. I'd lay in that machine and I would think about the attributes of God. God is just. God is righteous. God is good. God is loving. Uh, God is immutable. Uh, God, is, uh, God is omnipotent. And God is omniscient. And God is omnipresent. And God is love. And God is mercy. And God is true. And I didn't say them all one after another. I'd stop and I'd ponder some of those specific uh, qualities of God while I was laying. Knock, 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 knock all that stuff going on all around you. You know, the craziness going on around you. But Lord, you are the strength of my life. That's what David's doing. In this moment, probably being chased by Saul, David begins and he ends this psalm by saying, I'm not denying that there's the reality of fear and anxiety that sometimes overtakes us, but when it comes to my life, I grab hold of God and I hold on in faith to the one who stabilizes my life. Now, I want to show you just how bad it was for David. Verse 2, we come to the second stanza of this song. I should have said stanza instead of verse. The second stanza, verse 2. When the, here's the word, wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. Circle these words now. My enemies and foes. There's three times wicked enemies, foes. They stumbled and fell. Though an army, there's an army, may encamp against me. My heart shall not fear. Though war 
may rise against me. In this, I will be confident. In other words, in the first stanza, he expresses his confidence in God, that he's trusting in the Lord. In the second stanza, he exposes the enemies that he's dealing with. We look down in verse 6, and now my head shall be lifted up above my, what is it? Enemies that are all around me. Or look over at verse 11. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my, what? Enemies. Verse 12, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen. This is not just people who are chasing him to take his life. This is people who are lying about him. Do you know the most painful thing in life is not what people do to you physically. It's what people can say about you. I don't know where my mother learned it and your mother's learned it. Uh, sticks and stones may break my bone, but bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the biggest lie I think I've ever heard in my whole life. And my mother never told a lie, not intentionally, that I know of. Uh, sometimes I'd rather you beat me than I had for you to say things about me. False witnesses. Uh, have risen against me, and such as, listen, breathe out violence. The things they're saying about me are so violent. Have you been listening to the news and the pro-death crowd, what they intend to do and uh, how they intend to take others down and how they intend to make life as miserable as they possibly can? Have you been listening? I mean, they breathe out violence. That's what David was surrounded with, wicked people, enemies and foes, an army, a war. And he goes on, adversaries, false witnesses, people breathing out, uh, breathing out violence. And in the midst of all of this, can you imagine? David had to have had a struggle at times. He had to have had a struggle with the reality of the emotions that were going on within him. Will you look back to verse 2 for just a moment? I'm moving along. Are you staying with me? I'm moving along. I want you to look at it again. Verse 2, he says, when the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh. First of all, there's those who are tr trying to pounce on him in a sudden attack. Like, like a tiger that's crouched and ready to pounce on its, on, on its prey and eat up my flesh. That's how some of my enemies are. In verse 3, he says, though an army may encamp, uh, encamp against me. Now we have an army, and they're not, they're not crouching, ready to, to, to pounce. This is a settled, uh, they're settled into a long siege. They, they set up camp. They set up base, and we're just going to keep what they're doing, what the Russians are doing over in, uh, in uh, Ukraine. <laughs> what the Russians are doing, just keep throwing bombs, just keep throwing bombs, just keep throwing bombs, just until you destroy everything and everybody that you could possibly destroy. So you got some of the enemies that are like a sudden attack. You got others that are like a settled, uh, a settled army that's settled into a, lar a long siege. And then you get down to the end of verse four. The war may rise up against me. In this I will be confident. Now you have you have a you have an army that's waiting for the opportune time to declare war and to attack. So some of these enemies were ready to pounce. Others of them were settled, settled into a constant attack, just going on a long siege. And others were setting up and getting ready for what would be a long, protracted war. I mean, the enemies that are surrounding David, uh, the, these are dangerous times for David, aren't they? Right? These are dangerous times for David. And so D David's in the middle of all this. What do you do? 
I mean, you can't stop what the enemy's going to do. I mean, in the sense that you don't have any control over the enemy. Only God has control over the enemy. Uh, so what do you do? You turn to the Lord and say, the Lord's my light. He's my salvation. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to trust in the Lord. They can't do anything to me or touch me. If the Lord doesn't allow them, they have no power, no authority over me. Nothing can touch me except what the Lord allows to touch me. So David identifies, he exposes the enemies that he's dealing with. But then this third stanza, he takes us into his experience of the presence of God. And this is really the sanctuary. Remember when I told you in the last two lessons from Psalm 1, Psalm 100, that Psalms, that the book of Psalms is like a sanctuary? Remember that? A sanctuary place. This is, this is an auditorium. This is not a sanctuary. And talking about a, a place like the Holy of Holies where you go in and you meet with God and God meets with you. And what was the entrance? What was the entrance psalm into the sanctuary? Psalm 1, right? I, do you all remember? Did Chuck go to get my brownie? Good. That's good. Thank you, Carolyn. <laughs> uh, you see, Psalm 1 is the entranceway. Who gets into this sanctuary? Only the righteous get into this sanctuary. In the middle of this psalm, David's talking about, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm holding on to the Lord. I'm, I'm believing in him. He's going to see to it that he watches over me, even though I've got enemies that are crouched. I've got others that have set up for a long siege and I've got others that are going to war against me, just waiting. They're just waiting for the right moment, the right time to attack, even though all that's true. David's going to show you that there's a sanctuary where he goes to meet with God and for God to meet with him. Listen to it. Third stanza, verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. There's the sanctuary that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And why does he want to do that? For the same reason I preached this morning, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, now notice that he's going to use the phrase twice, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle, here it comes the second time. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And aren't we thankful that God is our shelter? Y'all with me? God is our shelter. And that's what David is saying. Do you get what David's talking about here? You got the either end of this psalm, a man who's declaring his faith and his confidence. I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm holding on to God. But I want you to know there's some real enemies that are around me, some that are waiting to pounce, others that are settled into a long siege, and others that are just waiting for the right opportunity, and they're going to come war against me. But I want you to know there's a sanctuary, and that sanctuary is a place where I go, and I behold the beauty of the Lord, and he hides me. And he watches over me, and he protects me, and he takes care of me. Do you know your God is like that? Your God is like that? I feel like Tony Cavalier, you know. The weather's coming this way. The clouds are up here. He goes on in the same stanza, verse 6. 
And now, he says, because I've gone to that sanctuary, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Now, stop here for a minute. My head shall be lifted up. What does that mean? You know, we think in a, a law and justice, uh, that's our society, a law and justice society. They lived in a shame and honor society. Did you, you knew that, don't you? Most of the Bible, all, really all the Bible, they lived in a shame and honor society. Many Near Eastern, uh, Far Eastern countries are like that, a shame and honor society. When he says gonna, he's going to lift up my head, he, he's gonna, he, he's, it's, the opposite of, it's the opposite of shame. He's going to give me honor. Do you see that? He's not going to let the enemy overtake me and take, let the enemy destroy me. He's going to lift up my head. I won't have to be ashamed. He's going to lift up my head, and the honor will come to me. He says, therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing yes. I will sing praises to the Lord. And so you're beginning to see it with me? you got an opening and a closing where David is holding on to the Lord and telling the Lord, I'm trusting you. you got his enemies that are all around him, some ready to crouch and, and, and to destroy him, others that are settled into a long siege, others that are just waiting for their opportune moment to jump in and destroy him. And David says, you know where I go? I go to the sanctuary, and I get alone with God. And I talk with God, and I hide in that pavilion, and God lifts up my head. He continues with, the, with the, uh, the, the fourth stanza. Now you're going to hear the reality of how he really feels. You're looking at the surface at this moment. I shouldn't say surface. This goes all the way to the depths of his heart. But you're seeing a man who's struggling. Outwardly, he's saying, I'm trusting the Lord. But inwardly, he knows there's some things that are going on that are a struggle. Verse 7, he says, hear, O Lord, when I cry, when I cry with my voice, I want you to mark something here. There are five phrases in verses seven and nine. There are five phrases that express the depth of anxiety as he prays for deliverance. Hear, O Lord. This is the first one. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Why? Because he's surrounded by the enemy, Right? Here comes the second one. Have mercy. This is the second statement. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. Oh, Lord, please, you see me. I'm in your sanctuary. I'm in the, the place where you meet with me and I can meet with you where you've promised to hide me. But, Lord, you've got to help me. You've got to be with me. You've you got to hear my cry and you've got to have mercy on me. Listen to what he says, verse 8. When you said David is talking. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do you see the, the determination of David for this intimate fellowship, this close fellowship with God? Lord, when you said to seek your face, I told you, I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to seek your face. But then he goes on. He goes on. He says, do not. Notice how many times he says, do not. Three times going down through, excuse me, four times going down here. Do not hide your face from me. There's the, there's the third of the five statements. Hide your face is the third. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away. There's number four or number five, whatever the number is. I think it's four. 
turn your servant away. Don't turn your servant away. Don't hide your face. Have mercy on me. Hear me, Lord. Do not hide. Do not turn. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been, circle these words, my help. And then comes the third, do not. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. You hear what he says? Lord, please, don't, don't leave me here. Now, let me ask you a question. I've got five more minutes, so stay with me. You've got a man here who's struggling, isn't he, at this moment in the psalm? Are you, are you listening? He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry, have mercy on me. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away. Don't, don't forsake me. Oh, God, I need you in these moments. Have you ever cried out to God like that? I have. There's been moments in my life when I, I didn't have anywhere else to turn. I turned to Mary. Obviously, Mary prays and loves me. You didn't have anywhere else to turn, but you turned to God. And David is a man who's surrounded by this enemy. And it's impossible for us, most, most of us, other than Corky, it's impossible for us to, to be surrounded by some of the things that are, are, that are the reality of living in this world, and they're not to be fear that rises, and there's not to be anxiety that rises. But where do we do? What do we do? We run to the sanctuary. And what do we do? We cry out to God, and we pour out our hearts to God. Lord, you said to seek your face. I'm seeking your face. I am committed to seeking your face. I can't understand, I'll just be honest with you, I, I can't understand people that don't want to come back and study the Bible on Sunday night. Forgive me, For, just forgive me. I'm, I'm, I realize most churches don't do that anymore. But when it's offered, when it's offered, I, I don't know why people don't want to come back and know more of the Scripture. I want to know, about, I want to know more about God. Yeah. Do you know one of the greatest things about studying the Psalms with you this summer is I get to study the Psalms myself. It's one of the greatest things there is. And here he is. He's crying out, don't leave me. Don't forsake me. Don't turn me away. Don't, don't hide your face from me. Lord, at this moment, I need you. I need you. So here's a man. You know, there's moments when he's expressing his fear and his anxiety, but he always comes back to say, but you know what? No matter what's around me or no matter what they're saying about me or no matter what might happen to me, the Lord is my light. He is my salvation. I'll not be afraid. I'll, I'll be strengthened in the Lord. I know that God will meet me and God will help me. Look what he says in verse 10. When my father and mother forsake me, and there's no evidence that David's father or mother ever forsook him, but even if that were true, when my father and my mother forsake me, oh, listen, then the Lord will take care of me. See the words take care? It's a Hebrew word. It's a great word. It's, the, it's a parenting word. Um, it's a nurturing word. It's a word that means the Lord will see you. He'll swoop you up into his arms. And uh, he, he'll provide for you. He'll take care of you. He'll watch over you. you. You'll know his love and his power and his presence. Isn't that great news? He continues in uh, this same stanza, this fourth stanza. Out of all of this, he says, Lord, teach me your way. Lead me in a smooth path. Um, to, to be led in a smooth, smooth path means to remove all the obstacles. Lord, would you just straighten out the path I'm on? I, I just, I'm up and down, up and down, up and down, afraid here and there. Lord, would you just straighten it out for me? And lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not. There's the fourth do not. 
The first uh, three are in verse 9. The fourth one is in verse 12. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. So you see the struggle that's going on within David. Outwardly, he, he he did what I was doing sitting in that chair. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. If it's cancer and I get to go to heaven, I'm still going to be with the Lord. If I get to stay here, that's what I'd like to do. But, Lord, if you want the other, I'm going to trust you no matter what. Let me tell you something about praying. First of all, we we should pray according to the will of God. God is only obligated to answer what is his will. And if God doesn't change something uh, and you pray for it, it doesn't mean that God isn't there. You ever had those thoughts? I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. I have people that, what they call, um, deconstructed their faith. Don't you love that? What they used to call that is they became an apostate. They deconstructed their faith. And some of them, not all of them, some of them said, well, I deconstructed my faith because I kept asking God to do this or that, and God didn't do it. Maybe God had something else he wanted to do other than do what you wanted God to do. God didn't take away the symptoms that I'm dealing with, but maybe God has some other reason for those symptoms. My friend who's dealing with some of these same kind of issues and pain down into his feet will remind me every once in a while that though God hasn't removed those symptoms from him, God has got something he wants him to learn through it. Now, that's, that's, that's mature faith. That's strong faith. Amen? That's strong faith. He goes on here, verse 13, back now to the fifth stanza. He comes back to that confident faith. He says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. By the way, the goodness of the Lord doesn't mean God's going to make, he's going to let you live to your 150. No sickness. Your teeth will never fall out. Your eyes will never go blind. You'll never, you'll never have tinnitus like I have in my ears. You'll never have numb legs or feet. And that's not what goodness is. Do you realize that the goodness of God it goes way beyond that? So he says, wait on the Lord. Can I just stop here? I've got two minutes left. I'm watching this clock. I've got a clock. I'm working hard here, y'all. One of the things that that you should do, you should go read the 150 Psalms. And every time the psalmist says, wait on the Lord, mark it. Wait, I I marked it. Go go do it for yourself. Count how many times he says it. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. You know, early on in the process that I was going through, I was reading through the Psalms and I saw that. And I wish I had just listened to the Lord at the beginning rather than being sort of dumb and have to learn it later on. You just got to wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. But hear hear me, waiting on the Lord does not mean passivity. Waiting on the Lord in the Old Testament Hebrew is the idea that I'm going to trust the Lord no matter what. I'm waiting on the Lord. If he chooses to remove it or he chooses to leave it, I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm trusting in God. God's way is always right. God's way is always perfect. I don't have to understand it all. And he's not, this isn't, we're not a health and wealth church. Maybe we should be. (laughs) A lot of sick people around here and we need some more money. We're going to try to pave the parking lot, part of the parking lot. Do you realize how much that's going to be? 
If you'd like to help us, I'd be glad to accept it. Or otherwise, Mary's going to have to get a second job. <laughs> Wait on the Lord. And then he says something like, like Moses said to Joshua. Wait on the Lord. Here comes, be of good courage. Don't, don't you love it? It's like a coach. Come on, now we can do this. Come on, now we can get through this. I'm not a very good coach, am I? We can get through this. We can do it. We can do it. Come on. Let's, let's go, team. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I want to read you a story. It's a story of a man who studied this particular text of Scripture, and it was so moving that I thought I should read it to you. He writes, when I was 15 years old, I was diagnosed with bone cancer. The cancer led to the amputation of both of my legs and about 10 lung surgeries and about 10 lung surgeries to check the cancer's spreading threat. Throughout that lengthy day of trouble, which lasted over three years, there was a good deal indeed to fear and dread. There was the frightful prospect of death, the cancer that consumed my flesh. Even more, there was the terrifying prospect of life, of spending all the days of my life with a disability. Would I find a career, purpose, love? You can imagine a 15-year-old thinking these things. But because through its power and metaphors, because through the power of this psalm and the metaphors of this psalm, it's sketched in an authentic way a picture of the terrific challenges of life. And then, looking those dangers in the eye, the psalm expresses trust in the Lord. For that reason, this psalm has spoken so well for many of God's suffering people in so many and various circumstances. And indeed, it still speaks for those who suffer. It speaks words of fear and words of trust. The two are not as far removed from one another as one might imagine. But remember, the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear? And then he finishes. The Psalms know the betrayals and abandonment we can face in our lives, but the Psalms also know the persistent faithfulness and loyalty of the Lord who has promised to gather in all who hope in him. Isn't that good? I thought somebody who had been a 15-year-old battling bone cancer might be able to say it better than nearly 65-year-old guy who's got numb legs and feet. Fear and anxiety sometimes overtake us. Where do we go? We go to the sanctuary, and we say, God, help us. And we pour our hearts out to God, and we trust in the Lord no matter whether those circumstances go away or not. We trust in the Lord, and we rely on God, period. Heavenly Father, thank you for the lesson tonight from Psalm 27. Thank you for Angela who turned it in. Lord, I pray that when we read that psalm in the future that we'll read it and see the things that we've talked about tonight and that, Lord, we'll be reminded that there's a sanctuary and you invite your children into that sanctuary to meet with you. And in that sanctuary, we find peace, we find your presence, and we find power. But, Lord, we find you. We're able to enjoy the beauty of who you are. Even if the beauty around us is falling apart, the beauty of, you, of who you are will sustain us through it all. 
Now, Lord, bless this food to our bodies. Thank you so much for Tyler and Courtney and for Chuck and Carolyn. And I pray, Lord, that as we enjoy this ice cream together, Lord, this is not just about filling our bellies. This is about a church family spending time with each other, not rushing off and just enjoying fellowship with one another. Bless it to our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, where do you want us to go, brother? Where did Brother Chuck go? He's gone to get that brownie. I know he's gone to get that brownie. <laughs> Do we just go out this direction? Is that where we're headed? We're going out here to have ice cream. I ordered the rain this afternoon to bring all the coolness down, the heat down. So, yeah, 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 okay, okay. Wait a minute. Chuck's. Let me, let me hug you. <laughs> hey, if I see anybody near this table, I will cut your hands off. Come on, let's go have ice cream. Oh, man. <laughs>